All right, so back at cutting room floor, uh, back at uh, the burning bush, God's call to Moses. Moses has a series of like questions slash objections <laughs> slash insecurities. Uh, and we want to look at two in particular. So uh, in the sermon uh, on Sunday, you were able to look at a couple of them. But mm -hmm. We want to look at I think it's three and four, mm -hmm. um, a few different uh, objections in particular that Moses offers of why he should not be the one to leave Midian and go back to Egypt and say, <laughs> hey, Pharaoh, like set my people, set God's people free. Yeah. Um, so why don't we go through those and you can sort of tease out why you think they actually have significance to us today. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So again, we're in the middle of a conversation that Moses is having with God on yep. the burning bush. He's already objected twice. He's asked, who am I? Then that's the first one. The second one was uh, basically then, who are you or what is your name? And then here we come to objection three, where, again, Moses is in this back and forth dialogue. Moses says at the beginning of chapter four of Exodus, behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And so basically the objection is they're not going to believe me, God. They're not going to believe that we've had this conversation, that you're telling me to do this. Like they're not going to, they're not going to believe me. Yeah. And God comes back to Moses and says very simply, or asks, he asks him a question, which is, I think is interesting. The Lord said to him, this is again, Exodus four, what is in your hand? Yeah. So Moses is like, they're not going to believe me. He's like, What's in your hand? You're like, I don't care what's, yeah, what's in my totally, hand. Yeah, totally. And yeah. He, it's, again, because if you kind of are familiar with the dialogue here, the, the way that God responds is often, at least on first appearance, not all that relevant to the question yeah. or the objection that yeah. Moses has. And there's a little bit of humor, I think, going on there. But I think this question, though, of what is in your hand is very significant because as Moses responds in the very next line, he simply says a staff. And what's interesting, as the narrative continues, God will tell Moses to throw that staff on the ground. It becomes uh, a serpent or a snake. And it becomes this way where then eventually, as the narrative really progresses, that Moses' staff, what has already been in his hand, is this very significant piece as to how God is going to work through Moses as he confronts Pharaoh. And I think, for me, why this is significant, the way that I've been thinking about this, is that this question of, especially for Moses, he's in a time where he's you know, not sure, he's maybe lacking a little bit of confidence, he's nervous, he's, you know, all these different things. He objects to God, and God simply just says, what is in your hand? And it seems to me that God is trying to communicate to Moses that, hey, Moses, I'm going to work through you with, not with all these other things that you have to go out and achieve or learn or get, but the thing that is already right there with you in your hand. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it reminds me of all the times when you know, you or me or someone in the church is feels called to do mm -hmm. something. And all we think about is what we don't have. Yeah. Well, I should probably get a seminary degree or I should probably have more time yeah. or if only I had more money or if I had a bigger house or whatever. For sure. And God always is kind of turns us back and says, no, 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 no. Like you're enough. Totally. Yeah. What you have is enough because I am able to transform exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. To meet the outcome or the goal that I have in mind. For sure. Yeah. And it's really powerful when you think about it in that sense that here's a staff, here's this object. That it's a Moses, freaking piece of wood. It's a stick, right? Yeah, like everyone has a stick. Everyone has Those one. are like, what's so different about my stick? <laughs> and he's been using it for decades, yeah, right? Out in the wilderness, yeah. you know, tending sheep. Yeah. yeah, right? Like it's maybe, you know, a, a more, I don't know, fashionable or trendy staff. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Comfy probably. But the point is, is that it seems to me God is able to take what's already present, what's already existent. And it's not, God does not come to Moses and say, you know what, 
you know, let's get you like Uber trained. Get and the right glasses. Right, yeah. And the right all, change your clothes, change all these different <laughs> things. You, you have be, not because of Moses, but because of what God is able to do. God's transforming power and presence yeah. is able to take what's already existent within Moses and is going to actually use that because a, a key theme or not, not really a theme, but a key kind of moment throughout the story is Moses' staff. And as Moses' staff is strikes the Nile, the, the Nile turns to blood. As Moses raises his hand with his staff in his hand, very uh, much of the, the plagues become unleashed on Egypt as they cross the Red Sea. Moses will raise his hand, which has his staff in it. So it becomes this aspect of God using what's already present yeah. to lead the children of yeah. Israel out of Egypt. I think I would say present and commonplace. Mm, yeah. He takes the simple and the commonplace. Yeah. And in the midst of the things that we would often not see. Yeah. He says, no, 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 it's actually through the simple and the commonplace that yeah. I will work. Yeah, because it's easy because I would imagine Moses and I, I would be there myself, like totally skim over and totally disregard like the staff as being something significant totally. that God that God would yeah. use. He's um, like, well, my oratory skills, yeah. my, he's like, God's like, no, your staff. My staff? Staff. Like, what does that have to do with yeah. anything? And that's, again, this is objection number three and it kind of admits of an ongoing God's conversation, good. God meeting Moses where he's at to a certain degree, but God kind of. I would say kind of pushing and challenging Moses a little bit here to recognize, you know what, there's something that's going to happen because I'm present with you in this. Um, And so the staff becomes one of those important, important pieces. But as the story goes on, this is again, only objection three. There's at least one more depending on how, how you want to count them. But the fourth objection kind of, again, still next to chapter four here is that God comes back to, or sorry, Moses comes to back to God and says, I'm not eloquent of speech. Basically he says, I'm not a good public speaker. I'm slow of speech is kind of the line that he uses. But what's interesting here is that previously with the previous three objections, it seems like at least when I read it kind of with my own kind of Western sort of mind, it seems like God is sort of, you know, really meeting Moses where he's at. There's a lot of compassion. There's a lot of like trying to help Moses understand and, you know, grow. Sure. He's challenging. God's challenging Moses a bit, but then when God speaks here to Moses, it seems like when well, it actually is pretty clear, this is actually the first time God gets angry in the Bible. Is in the here, whole Bible. In the whole Bible. So there's from Genesis... Like, there's been a lot of things that have happened in the Bible For sure, so right? The first flood, time he gets angry. First time he gets angry. Not at Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, not in the flood, yeah. not in Sodom and Gomorrah, not in you know all the debacle of you know Jacob and his family. Yeah. The first time God gets angry is here in Exodus chapter 4, towards the end or the middle of the chapter here, when God says to Moses, who made man's mouth? And he goes on, who made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Is it not I? And he keeps going on. And after Moses then kind of has this final plea of just, just send someone else in verse 13, verse 14 then says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Hmm. And here we come to this point where this is, I mean, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around kind of what exactly is happening at this moment. Cause again, those first three objections, I can see God and Moses kind of doing this back and forth and God's kind of kind of pushing and pulling Moses forward into this, you know, kind of leadership role that he's about to take. But here, God's just flat out angry with Moses. And it seems to be that there's this point, or at least for Moses and God, where God is saying, Moses, it's time to trust. Hmm. It's time to obey. And you can't just keep going down this cycle of excuse after excuse after excuse. There becomes a point where I've shown you some things, I've tried to teach you some things, and now it's time for you to obey. But in the middle of that, though, God does. He doesn't just say, okay, now Moses, now you go do it on your own. God still meets Moses where he's at. And he basically, if you want to use this language, concedes a little bit to Moses and offers Aaron, his brother, to speak on on behalf. Yeah. 
yeah, so you have this sort of, I don't know, I, I guess I think about it in terms of like, what would it mean if God never got angry? Mm, yeah. What would that communicate? For sure. Like at some point, when does God communicate to Moses? And I think, you know, anger, we can have a discussion philosophically or theologically mm -hmm. about whether like anger is like internal to God, whether the anger's for us or whether like, where is for that sure. anger? Where is that? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think like relationally anger makes sense to mm -hmm. us. Yeah. It sort of communicates like to Moses, Moses, this is serious. Yeah, for sure. This isn't like, we're not just like playing around. Yeah. And like, if we situate it contextually, like I would want God to get angry. Yeah, for sure. Like, there are all these people that are enslaved. Yeah, being oppressed. They are being beaten. Yeah. They are oppressed. And there's this dude out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> you know, being a shepherd of sheep. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, good. hey, how about you help me in this? Yeah. Like, and I was like, no, thanks. You know, someone else. It's like, I don't know. I kind of want to worship a God that says that's wrong. For sure. Yeah. You Moses, can't be like, you cannot just pretend you care. And be like, ask someone else. Totally, yeah. Like at some point, I want a God who's going to say no. Yeah. Like to me, that's a God who cares about justice. Totally, yeah. I think this is this is getting at this concept of that God, and we talked about this a little bit on Sunday too, that God is going to work through Moses. Yeah. And in order for that to happen, Moses has to be relationally connected with God. Yeah. And so in order for that to happen from Moses' standpoint, he has to have the heart of God as well when it comes yeah. to seeing these this oppression, no, not just knowing about it like in a distant land back yeah. home in Egypt, but really like having God's heart that he's going to be involved in doing something yeah. about this. Yeah, Moses is more concerned about being a bad public speaker mm -hmm. yeah. than however many hundreds of thousands of people that are suffering. For sure, yeah. And it's like... Yeah, there's, there's something off there. There's something off, totally, yeah. And I think the anger then becomes a symbol of that gulf mm -hmm, yeah. between how God thinks Moses is capable of acting and how Moses is acting. For sure. And I think there's something healthy, actually, even in there of like, something's off. For sure. And I wonder too, and this is again part of my own like live processing with this part of the yeah. story, is, is there perhaps a degree of, I don't know what the language would be, but like a false humility that mm. Moses has where... Maybe initially, like, you know, you think about your own, you know, interactions with different people and That's people good. are humble and there's a healthy way of being humble. But then sometimes there can be this really unhealthy way of being humble. Well, really, it's not really being humble. It's just really self-interested and self-preserving that you don't want to take the risk at the expense of maybe your own reputation yeah. or good. your own whatever being tainted or there whatever. Is this, there is this super false humility. I think even when it comes to, I, I think I might share about this a little bit on Sunday, um, about even listening to God. Mm. Like, why would God speak to me? Yeah. Oh, that can't be God. I'm just a little creature. And it's like, yeah, that's totally true. Mm -hmm. And yet God does speak to people. For sure. Yeah. So there's this weird inversion of then you as the humble quote unquote mm -hmm. creature are telling God yeah. how he can interact and what he can do. For sure. Which is like the utter core of hubris. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so it's, it's no longer humility. This, like, no, no, no. It's yeah. like utterly just unbelievably arrogant. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now you're telling God, yeah. I'm not good enough. No, no, I picked you. For no, sure. no, I'm not good enough. It's <laughs> yeah. like, no, no, you, I'm God. Like, this isn't about I you. I know who's good enough and I'm choosing you. Exactly. I, I have a billion people I can pick. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually picking you. For sure. Don't tell me I got it wrong. <laughs> right? There's this like funky inversion yeah. we do. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of that happening here in this story because... You know, again, for Moses in this relationship that he is going to have with God, there is this relational back and forth 
that God and Moses are going to have later on Mount Sinai after the yeah. golden calf incident. There's another sort of really big back and forth that God and Moses have there. But at the, at the end of the day, though, God is God is God and Moses is Moses. Mm-hmm. And so to always maintain that yeah. distinction of this is God, this is Yahweh, yeah. right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who's going to be faithful to his promises, the creator of, of heaven and earth. Yeah. And then there's Moses yeah. is, yes, in a relational relationship. Yeah. But Moses needs to know, and I think this is important for us too, that I'm I'm a I'm in being invited into God's plan, yeah, and not just getting to do it on my own terms. Well, and I think this gets into a core question of Exodus, and the mm. core I think one of the core questions of Exodus is who will you serve? Yeah, yeah. Who will you worship? For who sure. will you work for? Yeah, um, right. And that's sort of the core question of like, are the Hebrew people going to keep working for Pharaoh, mm-hmm. or are they going to work for God? Yeah. And I think this is part of that sort of central question for of sure. discipleship, of like. Yes, there is a relational paradigm. Yes, God wants to be in relationship. But in the end, yeah. we also need to recognize that like he is the Lord and we're yeah, not. Totally. And I think this actually gets at a very modern perspective on sin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how we even view sin fundamentally, I think, as like wrong action. Yeah, yeah. So I did this thing I shouldn't have done versus wrong posture. Mm-hmm. That sin fundamentally is a non-recognition that Jesus is our master sure. and our Lord. Yeah, for sure. And there are ethical components, but a lot of this is actually a posture relational question for of sure. like, whose voice do I listen to? For sure. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And thinking, cause there was a, a few weeks from now, I've been thinking about this concept of sin. We're going to be teaching on it in a couple of weeks at the end yeah. of May. And just really thinking about this concept of service and worship. Yeah. And how that relates to sin totally. and the posture of like, where is my allegiance and where is mm-hmm. my heart relationally? Yeah, it's good. And who am I giving myself yeah. to? And I think of, there's that line in that Bob Dylan song, everyone's got to serve somebody. Mm. And I think there's a, there's truth in that, yeah, totally. that we're all serving someone or something. Yeah. And if the question becomes, are we going to serve in the context of Exodus? Is the Israel people, as is the Israelites, are they going to serve or continue to serve in the way of Pharaoh, or will they simply trust and serve and worship yeah. Yahweh who has rescued them? That's good. And so there's a lot there for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot to chew on. Thanks, yeah. man. Cool.